I like this dark void you're sitting in, Jeremy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's very spooky. Because I'm working on being spookier generally. I'm like, Ooh, I applaud that for you. I like that. Yeah. It's my uh, mid-year resolution. Being, it's never too spookier. late. I want people to see me and go like, oh, boy, look out. Now that person <laughs> is hired. <laughs> like, oh, just leave that person alone. They look like they are having a day. Yeah. It's hard when you want to be spooky, but then you have like automatic dimples. Like I believe in the episode in Scream 5, you said something about being a failed goth. Like, I want to be spooky, but I keep picking up my finger. Like, I keep picking off my nail polish. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I I can't wear black nail polish. In this case, it's like, I want to be spooky, but my face is just too cute. Yeah. All right. You have to open this. Yes. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. (laughs) Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the New Zealand-based comedy-slash-horror TV show the build off the original What We Do in the Shadows film, it's Wellington Paranormal. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary. My co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Oh, what a relaxing bunch of television episodes. Like, just wholesome. Like, if Cottagecore was a comedy show, it'd be this show. Like. Watching this show feels like starting your day with, like, a toasted-up chocolate croissant and a nice cup of tea. Absolutely. And the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I'm afraid that you may be overselling the wholesomeness of this show a little bit, what with all of the, like, weird cryptid sex that goes on in it, but... I said what I said. I, you know... Accepting of the weird cryptid sex. Yeah, you know... it's It's the vibes, like, it was a very wholesome vibe about the sex like oh look at that guy give him their privacy i did have my honeymoon in a cottage so that's and, all i'll say about that <laughs> and our guest tonight our wicked queen of scream tv alicia whitley alicia thanks for joining us <laughs> already been okay. taken out sorry but do we need to imply that your honeymoon was full of cryptid sex Cottagecore cryptid text. I believe that's I, exactly what she was implying. I mean, I'm not even sure, sure what that the was subtext. I know I've just flat out text. I've met you and I've met Brett. I wouldn't describe either of you as cryptid, but okay. This is what I'm saying. I'm too cute to be spooky. You're so cute. You're uh, too thank cute. you, but I'm also like she's she's desperately like, trying be, for moth and I giving butterfly. <laughs> like, I'm like, y'all don't think I can't sell my threesome with Mothman to a publisher. <laughs> Listen, Mothman is actually very soft. Okay. <laughs> Can we please have a mini episode that's just like Emily ranks cryptids by is it softness or by fuckability? Why but are I those? Well, why are those exclude? Like, why would those? Yeah, not- well, I, think- I just don't. I just don't know which is the main metric I that Emily would be judging on. I mean, it depends. Like, 
But that's I think, I think charisma. That's... I think charisma has to be a part of it because yeah. I, I feel like with cryptids, it's not necessarily about the initial outward attraction, but also like the swag that. Because let's be honest, Mothman is the Billy D. Williams of cryptids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really about how attracted to them you are after you are locked in their castle with them. Yeah. Thank your father. Okay, so we're going to talk about five episodes here. It seems almost like a sort of random poll, but they're ones that Alicia and I chose intentionally having seen all of the show. There are none of these episodes that we really don't recommend, but I, I thought these were like particularly good for, for what we're talking about. Um, White people burial ground fucking sent me. That absolutely. was such. A good... oh do you want to start by talking about that one? No, then? let's let's. Or do you want to go, go in order? Just, when I realized that was what the, that episode was going, I fucking tied. Yeah, I had to include that one. So to get us start, it is this show is created by Jermaine Clement and Taiko Atiti. It seems like overall Jermaine has a lot. Jermaine has a lot more to do with the show. He has directed and written several of the episodes, including several of the ones we're talking about. The show stars Karen O'Leary and Mike Minogue as our sort of main cops who are named O'Leary and Minogue, just like their characters. The sort of cast, the main cast is rounded out by Maka Pahatu, who is their police chief, who is also just chief or just Sergeant Maka and Thomas Sainsbury, who plays Parker. We also get some guest appearances in one of these episodes from Ray Starby, and we'll see Linda Top playing O'Leary's mom a few times, and I, I felt like she was worth noting because she is a, a big part of a couple of the episodes. Just to give a general idea of what the show is like, Wellington Paranormal takes place broadly in the same world as of supernatural New Zealand as what we do in the Shadows the movie, and follows the two local Wellington police officers, O'Leary and Minogue, who we meet briefly in the film, as well as their Sergeant Maka, who recruits them to be part of a super secret, unfunded, and definitely X-Files-influenced paranormal unit to examine all the strange goings-on in and around Wellington. They encounter vampires, ghosts, all sorts of strange phenomena, and even a few mythological creatures that are native to New Zealand and, and part of native culture. They are also frequently joined or followed by Officer Parker, who is a curious yet cowardly co-worker who desperately wants to be part of the team, despite not being at all cut out to be part of it. The first one we're going to talk about is a little confusing because it has different names in different places. And I guess the original New Zealand one is called Taniwa, which is the name of the creature. The version on Max is called the the Not Nest Monster, which is a terrible name. Yep. This one starts with, we get Mago, Leary, and Minogue, and Parker set out to investigate several disappearances of fishermen on the coast. Sergeant Maka believes the disappearances are due to an ancient native myth uh, about these large sea creatures. Um, the Tanifa. 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 Uh, yeah. Tanifa. Which my favorite running guy across all the episodes is Sergeant Maka just pulling an utter guess out of his ass. And it's either completely wrong or the best we get with a half-hearted shrug. <laughs> yeah. So they meet a very unhelpful man who starts to tell them what he's seen and then refuses to elaborate or acknowledge that he's actually made those statements. Uh, to <laughs> investigate, they get a sonar detection system and head out on a boat with Captain Quinn, who is quite a character, a harbor, a harbor patrol officer with an eye patch and a hook hand, leaving Parker alone to monitor the beach. They learn that not all the stories about how people lost eyes and hands are cool. It's <laughs> both. He, he has a... He has an eye patch because he has a pink eye and he 
lost his hand due to a sinkerator, which he thinks is a great story. No, okay. What, what, is, a, what is a sinkerator? I, it's I, a I, garbage, garbage disposal. Okay. It's I like thought an that was some garbage sort of combination sink and incinerator. Yeah, it's it's no. when you're sink. I mean, yes, destroys great things. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. I guess I was just more imagining a sink that shot fire out of it. Also, <laughs> that just had a fire setting. <laughs> Who doesn't want a fire sink? I believe the full title of the device is Insinkerator. So you're you are correct, semi correct in your assumption. Sometimes fire can come out of it, but it's probably not designed for that. Yeah. So they uh, they encounter the creature out on the bay, mostly through the sonar. It passes by the boat. We see it, but they don't. On its way to the beach, promptly eat Parker's tent, his cameraman, and seemingly Parker. Uh, all they find is an arm floating in the harbor, which we will later learn out or learn belongs to the unhelpful man they meet earlier. Further investigation turns up the cave of the Tanifa, where Tanifa. Sorry, the cave of the Tanifa, where they, uh, where all the victims are still alive and stuck to the walls with seaweed, except for Parker, who is nowhere to be seen. The group honors Parker's memory at the beach where he then shows up in the middle of their memorial. As it turns out, he didn't get eaten, but he just got cold and uncomfortable on the beach, so he went to hang out at his mom's house nearby. The group sees the Teneva out in the water and thinks they're about to have a Godzilla versus Kong sort of throwdown as a second one shows up, but what they actually witness is a massive monster mating session in the harbor. And that's the first I, episode. What, what do you, or, how do you guys feel about that one? Or as I like to call it, an AO3 Godzilla vs. Kong showdown. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what we wanted out of Godzilla vs. Kong. And There's still time for this in the sequel. More Godzilla yes. plus Kong. You know? Yeah, Godzilla x Kong. Um, Godzilla v Kong, Dawn of Monsters. Dawn of Kong's Dawn? What, this, what was that? This, it's a Dawn of Kong's Dawn. How much Dawn could Don Kong Kong if Don Kong could Kong Kong? I, I mm, that one got dog, away from me at the end. Our some dog had a Kong, but it he didn't really he didn't really ever get the treats out of it. He just this, at it. this episode, man, this whole show. If you like deadpan humor, oh wow, have you hit the jackpot with Wellington Paranormal? The delivery on all of these is so fantastic. It's just it has the same feel of a lot of the ad-libbing in what we do in the shadows of these characters just kind of being in character. And in this case, it is it is shot like cops. Kind of a, a Reno 911-esque uh, yeah, I feel situation. Like it, you're right. I feel like it's closer to Reno 911 than what we do in the shadows to show. Reno yeah. 911 with the volume and, and not way just, down. And yeah. not just because of the cop element, but just because it is more of that, like, them reacting to these situations they find themselves in, but also because this the genre, the subgenre of cops parody. And they yeah. also throw in a lot of of stuff of like copies in this show, where you know uh, <laughs> O'Leary in particular frequently says that things aren't optimal, um, not optimal. In various okay. various Copy versions that. of of that things that you would never say in real life unless you were a cop in a cop show, assisting. Um, <laughs> like yeah. if somebody says help me assisting assisting i've They're... got a visual yes. traveling i love traveling, traveling. yeah um, i love anytime they're doing the radios like over like no you you don't have to do it while we can still see each other <laughs> we, yeah. while we still have visual contact visual contact yeah i think my favorite character and is parker 
I mean, I don't know. It's hard to pick a favorite character because they're also lovable. And it's and definitely lovable. Sergeant Maka for me. I, I do love Maka. I think he's just great. But Parker's, like, when they said they were honoring his memory and he was like, I've got a few memories I could share. He's <laughs> <laughs> not like, I'm still alive. So, yeah, instead like... of going, oh, no, wait, I'm still alive. He's just, like, so politely, like, I've probably got a few memories. He's a real regular-sized Rooney. These are the and, most uh, like, adorable, ineffectual teddy bear cops like I've ever seen. Like the Reno nine one one cops. I'm like, you're always convinced that like, yeah, we're having fun. But like, if you zoom back, any one of these people can commit like an act of police brutality in any given episode. It does help yeah, that the New Zealand cops don't these, have. Yeah, these are cream pups. These yeah, are green pups of suburban New Zealand cops. Yeah, yeah. They, oh, they have a taser between them, like one taser yes. between them, and they each have the like collapsible truncheons that yes. only come like, up when they talk to like the ghost cop. I also I, really appreciate that, as just dumb as Minogue is, and O'Leary is like a level ahead of him. That doesn't mean that O'Leary is necessarily more effective. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Yeah. O'Leary has like more sense, but still is not necessarily. <laughs> O'Leary does like... the best that she can with what she has. And I think it's <laughs> hilarious that she's she is like essentially in this comedy duo, the straight man. Yeah. Which is extra funny. Man. Yeah. So do you know how the somehow they're all the straight man, but it works? I mean, that's what do I... what So do you know favorite... how Karen O'Leary got into the I know I know what we do in the shadows was her first acting role. Yes. She was, I believe, a preschool teacher who's just really funny. <laughs> that she is, she's great. Tracks. Yeah. And that, I could see her. She has as, incredible comedic presence. Yes. And I could just see her like as a pre I mean, preschool kids are really funny anyway. So you have to be a person with a really good sense of humor to be able to work well with them. Well, I, I, I think on that like, note, I really like that they don't make O'Leary annoyed or a spoil sport like they don't give the female character the job of like straightening everybody else out she is sort of the straight man but as far as that goes it's sort of like her looking at the camera occasionally and or trying to be trying to figure She's... out whether she should correct something for lack of a better yeah. term o'leary is one of the boys yeah i mean in this case the boy like if you define by, by boys, boys i mean minogue and sergeant maka yeah, I think O'Leary feels like the designated driver, just generally to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah, that's more like, what it she's is. She's just keeping everybody else on the road, you know, just, oh, 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 don't wander but off into the street. A um, moment I really want to highlight, you know, talk about some little representation. Uh, I love Sergeant Maka being the authority, but also then how centering Maka lets them play with whiteness to really funny degrees. Like in this episode, the you know story about how the islands came to exist, and then he ends up with like, and that's how we get one of the most uh, highest property value suburbs in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because Great I bakeries. watched the full. I watched the the first season before any of the recommended episodes, like the full first season. Now each of these seasons is like six to seven episodes, so it's not like a huge the BBC uh, season. If you watch yeah. Letter Kenny, you know how this goes. Yeah. And they didn't quite go as hard into Maka's ethnicity 
in the first season because the first season had some jokes where I was like, really? Like the Nick the Vampire Bat Lives Matter joke, which I was like, ooh, that was a bit painful. But the but Maka, like every so often, he'll just go into something like so specifically cultural. And but it is him also playing up like the drama, like in the Tenihua episode where he he's like telling his story and he said like he pulls out his little like ocarina or whatever it is (laughs) once upon a time there were the two brothers i think that's one of the things about the show that really shines to me is that they are they do really focus on local creatures myths and legends i feel like that they really find their footing on that it's a little like when they were um you've ever watched the first season of parks and rec where they're still like kind of mm. figuring out what the dynamic is but by season yeah, two it's yeah, yeah. locked in and, and working i mean just wellington in general this feels yeah. like I, I very much a case of location as character and just the this humdrum like it kind of reminded me of hot fuzz where it's like these are police who go around chasing the escaped goose and they're bringing that exact same energy to vampires and Loch Ness monsters and sentient robots. Yes, it very, very much so. A little bit more of like if every character was some kind of Nick Frost in this. O'Leary yeah, no, is a little no bit Simon more. Pegg. Yeah, yeah. It, O'Leary almost evokes the Simon Pig. And I kind of feel like that might be on, might be deliberate mm-hmm. with her fashion and everything. Yeah, but um, and, and speaking of O'Leary's fashion, this might be a, and sentient robots. It might be a good time to go on to Mobots. Yeah, let's, yeah. Uh, let's I will say I do appreciate O'Leary. She is more competent, but no more capable than mm. the others. That's yeah. that is a good way to put. It. Yeah, that's yeah. spot on. Yeah. So sure. the second episode we're talking about is season two, episode six, which is called Mobots. This is a story in this. A massive number of out of date electronics are being stolen in sort of this upper class Wellington suburb. So the team is called to investigate as as their headquarters for the operation. They choose O'Leary's mom's house. O'Leary's mom is nice. It still doesn't quite have a grasp on the concept of O'Leary being gay, which they never say outright, but is made, I think, very clear. And, and there's a we're lot to of assume that O'Leary's, and O'Leary's brother also is the one that, like, enjoyed wearing tutus and had a pink phone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is hilarious. Just adding more than one shade to the rainbow, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and there's a lot of like constant references, things that are dead giveaways. She really loves her softball mitt, among other things. That's the thing her mom is like, oh, she really love that. So when they leave out a lot of outdated electronics around as bait, the electronics themselves come to life and begin creating robotic constructs, leading them out into the night. There's a lot of chasing them around and trying to stop and fight these little robots. Uh, eventually, they form a large, a larger robot piloted by Le- O'Leary's own abandoned cell phone that resents having been left behind and is now desperate for an update. Also, is really sad when they discover that you can, in fact, play Snake on a smartphone, but nobody does because Snake is not actually that good. I died when the snakes part started playing when the phone started playing Snake on the floor. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, the robot attempts to climb the nearby cell tower to broadcast a signal to destroy the humans, but it falls apart as it is unable to process its own updates. Also, there's a running gag about a robot made of vape pens and how much Minogue hates vaping and how his brother vapes and it smells terrible. And also, my favorite also, detail about his brother. 
is that he has a tattoo <laughs> of their mom's back, back on his, on his face. face. <laughs> yeah, because he was too polite to correct the tattoo artist. <laughs> Yeah. I feel Elyria like a is, lot is of sure this... that he's got that backwards because surely <laughs> Minogue says, I wish, a... I, I wish I did. Surely that was a, such a funny of, bit of their mom's face on his back. But no, also, that's also, as somebody who's done about... IT stuff, I do love the running gag of Monica recruiting the police IT specialist, assuming that everything is going to be like hackers and he's yeah. just going to hit a bunch of keys oh, and like yeah. kill the robots. But the guy never actually gets to do anything because it takes him. A normal amount of time to build this stuff and he is no nobody's ever actually sure for sure what happened it just ends up working out that th this episode was the zenith of the running bit of mockage making up wild theories yeah yeah <laughs> and it's just I being really all we loved, get i really loved and really understood maka when maka said Ben, the you know he gave his wild theory which was correct and ben the it guy said probably not and he said, yeah, but if you're leaning towards not all of this, and he makes kind of like a circle graph <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his body, that, that was, indicating uh, that everything else is, you know, amazing physical comedy. Angle. Yeah. He's a fantastic this. physical comedian, that guy. Like, they all have their own kind of physical comedy bits. Like, Minogue is like a big gangly guy, and he has like a lot of expressions and stuff like that. But Maka, he'll do weird pantomimes. And he's also got like such a stern face most of the time. It I, is I, it's very, uh, oh my God, what's his name? From Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like Captain Dre Brower? Captain Holt? Yeah, Captain. He's, it's Captain Holt-esque where he's, if you don't deserve me at my stern, or you, if you don't, if you can't handle me at my stern, you don't deserve me at my stern. I love all of Maka's interactions with Parker and just how it's just Maka as much as just impossible to approve to please will turn on a dime to always have the most insane logic towards any situation like that you can switch on a dime to like no Parker you stay here where you're most likely to get eaten and then be like oh he got eaten I'm sad now. <laughs> I think my other favorite, so I have two other favorite moments. One is Sergeant O'Leary's relationship with her mom when her mom comes outside and is like concerned that the electronics might be a little, get a little chilly and mentions that she does have one of dad's old coats that the now sentient robot could wear. She doesn't come out and go, ah, oh no, it's a sentient robot. She just comes out and she's like, okay, well, you might want to get a coat on. It's really late and he might need one too. And also, <laughs> when the electronics start doing snake across the floor and then go out, and she goes, oh, my gosh, that's wild. Well, I'm going to bed. And I was like, oh, I felt that. I felt that <laughs> yeah, I, deep I, in I my heart. Definitely want to highlight all, like, the phone electronic robots they came up with because they are really inventive and fun, and like, especially really the, the phone scorpion. Yeah, yeah, and that was really good. Like, I, I don't know how good. they did it. And I think that's what's really cool about it because I, I couldn't see the strings of how they made this work. Yeah, it was when CG. I mean, it, most this, of it was CG. Most of it was CG. Yeah. When the phone snake stole the taser, yes. I died. Then, <laughs> like, that was to use a, the like, now it's just a snake with a taser. That she was just such a, uh, that monkey has a gun moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I also oh. really, really enjoyed when 
Maka is like looking at the feed and he's like, oh, we've only got so many minutes until he reaches it. And Ben, the IT guy, is like, that thing's on a delay. Yeah. yeah. He's like, that's even ben. worse. We have no minutes. There are no minutes left. Ben with the low key fucking deadpan, like seen your time about before where they're talking about Minogue's brother's tattoo. That's really where double deadpan shouldn't work. But it seems like that that really show off why and how the double deadpan does work. Yeah, Yeah. I I think that's very true of the relationship between O'Leary and her mom in this as well, because I I like the fine line they walk of like her clearly not quite getting O'Leary's queerness her maybe to the point of like just not even understanding it that it is a thing but also like that it's it's never to a point of like oh she's upset about this or she you know she feels embarrassed it's O'Leary that feels embarrassed about all the stuff her mom is saying it's just sort of like oh yeah she was always you know like this as a kid she does that thing that moms do where she's just like insanely inappropriate when she's talking to your friends and yeah. even worse when you're like mm-hmm. at work and you're supposed to be grown up and you know she's like just not letting O'Leary grow up and it's one of those things where it would be absolutely horrifying if this was were your parent however because it's someone else's parent you could just be like <laughs> you know like laughing at their discomfort a little bit yeah um, oh yeah it nails the whole vibe and just mortifyingness of that embarrassing parent Yes. Like you said, don't let this. you grow up. I love that and a I lot love- of this is called back in Fear Factory, which we'll talk about yes. later as well. Yeah, yes. and it's a good contrast. We'll talk about that in that episode. But I want to underline that O'Leary's mom, she doesn't reject O'Leary so much as she just is kind of out of touch. The same way that there's an episode we're not covering where the O'Leary and Minogue try to track a haunted car. And then the kid who owns the car is speaking, quote unquote, too young right and they just they're just like can you speak less young for me and that's sort of like that gap is mirrored between o'leary and her mom there's no rejection there's with the mom there's no outright rejection there what reminded me of my parents is the fact that one of the reasons why the epicenter of the or the concentric circles of the theft of the missing old mobile devices is getting closer and closer to Karen's mom's house is because she is hoarding all of the old technology because she just doesn't want to get rid of it or throw it away. And you see her open the drawer of old tech and there's like a Walkman in there. Like there's a CD disc player. And I was thinking, this is my fate. This is what's going to happen. I just feel really bad throwing away electronics that are perfectly functional. Yeah, no, I have I mean, uh, two VCRs in my house right now. And that's not even talking about like the ancient audio equipment that my telecommunication professor from the 80s father has in <laughs> in his garage. There's right? always a part of me whenever I do a big cleaning that just thinks like, but what if Toy Story is right? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Alicia what has it- that impulse. And I have the what if I set it all on fire impulse. Yeah. Look, I also, what if it's I like Brave keep... Little Toaster I or also... Brave Little Toaster 2, Toaster Goes to Mars. I've also started. Movies are horrifying. I, I caught myself. I'm a little embarrassed about this. So since I have no parent to tell you the story, I will. But 
The other day, well, my parents bought my daughter a game. They bought her a chess set and my stepfather was inspecting the chess set. I said, yeah, and it came in this really high quality, like cardboard box, this really nice cardboard right here. And Jeremy was like, did you just say this is really nice cardboard right here? (laughs) It was at that point that he uncovered my terrible secret. I have a hard time throwing away really nice boxes. Oh, me too. Um, Like iPhone boxes. I'm like, it's just, it's a good box. I don't know what I'm going to use it for, but iPhone boxes are fantastic. Yeah, well, especially you, but, if it's a good box. Yeah, me, I'll throw the, away your iPhone boxes for you. So, Alicia, I have some news for you. Yeah. Uh, as I have been going through my mental health journey, I found out that this behavior is consistent with OCD. <laughs> I'm but not, it's only it's only good boxes, though. <laughs> I mean, me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah. I. You know, I think, also like I glass think bottles, unless they're thick thick boys like a thick coke bottle wait does I, that mean every frat bro putting up all, all the bottles he drinks has ocd I, it's a it's a version you can have ocd without being like nitpicky yeah. about cleanliness. I, I'm, okay, I'm okay as long as it's just i suppose we'll be okay as I'm long just as imagining it's just boxes. Frat boy. i'm just imagining frat boy monk now i'm just telling you right now alicia you can't re-gift things with the iphone box because if you put something else in the iphone box it's disappointing to everyone that's the real problem is that it's a quality box that i have no use for jeremy i did throw away the tiny one that the little blue one with the little bow on top that was just so cute it was just a cute little tiny box that nothing else would ever go into i did let it go while we were at ala but i want you to know i still think about it speaking of let's get to the uh, third episode here (laughs) Uh, season three, episode two. It's called Tamero. It is about a uh, a camper who's gone missing. We actually see him live streaming his own uh, abduction by something at the beginning of the uh, episode. Uh, the paranormal unit needs to go out and team up with the local forest ranger, played by Reese Darby, to help figure out what happened to him. The ranger frequently makes allusions to the fact that there's something dangerous in the woods that he knows about, but isn't going to tell them about. And then he himself may also be dangerous. O'Leary and Minogue, for their part, recall having seen a documentary, which they were in, in which the guy, in which it was real that this guy was a werewolf. He did, in fact, transform on screen. They're pretty sure they saw him in that. He warns them about the dangers of eye-level sticks, which are his versions of murder uh, in the forest. Psychopaths, right? His yeah, version of psychopaths. psychopaths of the forest. Yeah. Yes, because he's the law of the forest. <laughs> and yeah, they, littering uh, is the first degree murder of the forest. Yes. <laughs> they uh, scavenge dinner from the area and end up eating psychedelic mushrooms and have a bad trip during which they encounter what seems to be a giant plant monster thing, but it turns out to be bad Parker. Trip is, bad was, trip is subjective. Minogue so, has a bad trip. Minogue has a bad trip. Oh, yeah, definitely Minogue. Yeah. So th- it turns out this thing that they think is a monster is actually Parker in a... Uh, costume that his mom made for him when he was a kid uh, apparently he hasn't he hasn't grown any since she made this costume for him and then Believable. parker is promptly captured by the actual giant hairy creature who turns out to be a female of her species looking for a male to mate with those uh-huh. are more deadly than the male i hear that's true well those nails like those claws looked like parker should have just been fucking disemboweled like those nails like those are some fucking Lady Deathstrike nails on her. Yeah. Yeah. Maka does a, a haka, which uh, the creature objects to the language of the saga. He, she speaks several languages, we find out, including English. 
but they end up having a nice conversation and safely retrieve Parker. But it does turn out when they ask that she did, in fact, eat the camper. So they need to try and arrest her, but they are unsuccessful because during their uh, illicit mushroom trip, they have, in fact, arrested each other for use of illegal substances. So they are all handcuffed to one another. This is uh, what I'm saying with them being just the most teddy bear cops. Yeah, it, which is a good gag, along with the other gag that starts off of this episode, which is uh, the non-standard uniform gag where Maka gives a whole speech about people not wearing their standard uniforms. And then we get our pan over to Parker, who is in a a police sweater that his mom has knitted him. Because like an Angora she, sweater. It's yeah, an Angora sweater that is looks like a police like the standard issue police vest but instead of being the police vest it's just a like it's angora with like a cross stitch police officer and everyone loves it he arrested someone who just loved it i love that bit where he's like what are people you think when people you arrest he was like i arrested two people they loved it i want to be able to buy that like there's got to be a place i can buy that sweater from I wouldn't want to wear a sweater that says police on it unless it has like a specific like New Zealand police uh, or like, yeah, Raccoon City police or something. The it would be, you know, it would be good to wear to the uh, what we do in the shadows convention. There you go. A thing that doesn't exist. Yeah. The Parker having non-standard uniforms is also a running gag in the show. But this is sort of like, hey, take it to the next level. And then having it be like returned with the ghillie suit. That is his plant muster suit and his whole bit where he's like, I'm floating head. (laughs) There should be a what we do in the shadows mode of Vampire the Masquerade where you play like normal, but nobody is allowed to have an intelligence score above the minimum. That's just Vampire the Masquerade. (laughs) Um, I just I have to tell you right now, like the best thing about what we do in the shadows for me is that I'm like, no LARP is ever going to be this good. No LARP is going to have this much like a consistent humor consistent fun and like the drama the stakes of the drama are no pun intended are about where they should be so any any further thoughts tomorrow there it is more specific to new zealand that that particular creature i Um, definitely thought rice darby was going to do more in the episode yeah, he didn't become a werewolf. He did reprise his role as Anton, who is a werewolf, not a swearwolf. Can we talk but... about his name? Is it Rice or Reese? Reese. Reese, oh, Reese Dar- Darby. You're yeah. right. Reese okay. Darby. Like Reese Witherspoon, but it's spelled completely differently. Like 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 Henry VIII, right? Jonathan Reese Myers. Yeah. yeah there oh, we go. Okay. okay. I'm glad you made that connection because hey, I, I was not. He knows. He knows what I'm yeah. he knows what I'm talking about. You know what I'd be talking about, right? Yeah, I, I look, we all look. We all want to be like Blackbeard, get some of them Reese's pieces. <laughs> That's all good. Right. Sorry, That's sorry good. to interrupt. You were saying that it, Anton. Yeah, so he he reprises his role as Anton, and he mentions that he's a werewolf. He doesn't actually transform, but they've already had a werewolf episode at this point. So, um, but is he is he Anton? Because he, like he said, oh, I can't be out of the full moon. I might kill you. But then he does come out in the full moon. Like he does check up on that. Them, did, but... Yeah, that I also was. I think he was off. That. It was just waxing. It's unclear because uh... it's several days later. We get a pan of the full moon like the first night, but they're there for several days. And it's um, waning. 
Okay. How long was this fucking shrooms trip? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I just, shrooms trip I like was on O'Leary, the last day. Like, they have to Where did O'Leary the... get? Didn't O'Leary have like glow sticks or something? Like where did this? Yes. Um, <laughs> like where did you even get those? Look, once you take enough psychedelics, glow sticks just appear. That's well, just I a think, rule. I think they needed LED wands to um, light their incredibly elaborate like office in the tent i um, love that maka brings all the like cork boards with red string and his desk and everything out into the tent in the woods yeah and his whole like x-files ass setup which is also Ma- like a recurring gag i love in this we haven't really talked about is that like he has an office that's hidden behind a bookshelf that he pretends has a code he has to punch in and he spends longer each time he's doing it punching <laughs> in the code and making beeps by on his own yeah, and, and then, like, like pretending that I there's love an the AI. And then I really love how much detail goes into this police station. I like how much detail goes into everything in this uh, show, actually. Like, yeah, you know, fake headlines, but even like just the yes, office I, that he's in feels very lived in. Like, all the bits and bobs are like, yeah, I kept actually had little the, things written. I kept pausing the opening so I could read all the different yeah. headlines. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's a lot like um, different good titles place. every opening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the good place just put so much work into all of the details being real details. I remember listening to a podcast episode where they were talking, the cast was talking about how in the art gallery episode with Tahani's, you know, jerk sister or whatever, Mm -hmm. the pieces had little plaques that had info on them so that they could actually like stand and read, you know, and look more like that level of detail. And you can really see that, especially in this episode. With the cork board being transferred to the to their elaborate, you know, field setup and still having the oh, newspaper on it. Maka being like a Bigfoot conspiracy theorist was great. So yes. good. And and that he's that completely also- right in this one case. But he's got details about all of the like different Bigfoot like creatures from all around the world and all the different mythologies. Um, was this episode also written by Jermaine Clement? Let me double check that. While you check that, do we want to explain what a haka is? Go for it. If people don't know, they need to. Yes, that was written yep. by, this one was written by Jermaine Clement. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it is written, but not directed by Jermaine. Uh, Wikipedia says it was directed by him. IMDb says it was directed by Tim Van Damen. Oh, well, okay. Either way, I really, I especially enjoy, I feel like I especially enjoy the episodes that were written by Jermaine Clement, and I'm not sure if that's just because he These also did his characters, you know, and he also did our next one, Fear Factory. Yeah, or if it's just I really dig his sense of humor. I know Jeremy's dad doesn't. What? Jeremy's dad get better comedy taste. Jeremy's dad. That's we were watching Flight. It we showed was it Flight of the Concords oh, or yes. was Doctor Horrible? Of Flight of the Concords. Okay, I couldn't remember if it was a singalog blog or if it was Flight of the Concords where he said, "Please don't make me watch another one. I haven't done anything wrong." That's such a dad. God damn, Mr. Whitley. Tell us how you really feel. And then after that, I remember I showed him hot fuzz and I was like, if you don't enjoy this, we can't be friends anymore. It's just it's over yes. between us. Yeah. And he, he did love hot fuzz. He was like, OK, okay that was legitimately fun. funny. And I was like, that's yeah, good. so it was Flight of the Concords. But I'll let I'll let it slide that you didn't get I, I, I don't I feel get, the need to I get that that's a, to a certain any family members right now. Yeah. I think Flight of the Concords is definitely one of those things that you need to have in like small bite size. Like it's yes. definitely a YouTube 
thing, especially like the their various songs. Yes. And also you have to choose your audience because not everybody is going to recognize the very specific reference to the Pet Shop Boys <laughs> that they make. Or, you know, like Bowie's in Space is a little bit more ex- accessible, accessible, but like yeah. the inner city pressure is so of its time that it's true for me. It's, you know, it is one of those things that is so targeted. But um, I did want to before before we move on to the next episode, just really quick. The Maka, Sergeant Maka performs a haka, which is a, a traditional Maori dance that is kind of like, a, to I, paraphrase, it's a hype dance. Well, what I love um, about that moment is that... A lot that, more complicated than that, of course, but... Is that that is like his instinct. Mm. Like he is stu- like he is startled. He's and so frightened that his instinct And, and out of fear, that like his first thing is to haka. And he's also coming down from the mushrooms. Yes. Where he thought he was a werewolf. Um, oh my god! Okay, Maka thinking he's a werewolf was such amazing. Just God, that this performer like Maka as Maka is just so fucking funny. Yeah, and, I, I know, think... but in the haka they talk about a ha- the hairy man, right? Yes, and that is and what, that's how I would that is what yeah. <laughs> our, our she she gets she reacts to. She's upset, like, hey, yes. wait a second, yeah, calm down. I'm not a hairy man. It's not the, you know, I I live, you die, you know, of the sort of the dance and that sort of confrontational element of his specific dance. But the, the other thing, I I am a little bit, I get a little bit weary of some of the jokes about O'Leary looking like a man. Just all of the jokes, like, I feel like it's a, it might be a little too much for me, but that's honestly... Well, it's not even... It's more insulting than that because it's not even that people think O'Leary looks like a man. People think O'Leary looks like a little boy. That's pretty like that upsetting. little boy over there. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I'm a grown, I'm a grown woman. Well, this yeah. one I feel like it works. It works because O'Leary's like, I get that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're only watching these episodes, I definitely like. It's a lot less like. It's, it's look sometimes lesbians look like little boys. It might be a bit of a stereotype, but that doesn't mean sometimes. She's well. I will say but she O'Leary, is a she is a woman. She is a woman in uniform on the job. Yes, and I will also say that Illyria is has the. But come on, let's not like, act like O'Leary probably doesn't have like a be like a snapback. She wears sideways and an oversized polo oh, shirt. Oh my god! Yes, but like that's the thing is that like her her whole silhouette is so relatable to me. Like mm. it's so I've I've known so I've had teachers. I've had. Like, you know, aunts, fa- you know, friends, students, all that who have had that look. So, I, you know, her whole look is not the, the like, the being butt of a joke sometimes gets a little, I don't know. Totally. Okay. 100%, 100%. I, I get it. I just think she's. Yeah, I, I, I totally hear. Yeah. <laughs> but like her, the, her whole look and her, her delivery is very real to me. So much so that like. I think it's because the the jokes are made so often. I'm like, no, no, I think we get it. You know, like she can she can be gay. She can be whatever. She can be butch, whatever she wants. That's less important to her character than the fact that she has to deal with Minogue and that she is like doing the best with what she's got, no matter what. The and Minogue is like someone Minogue is somebody left all the TV sets on, but nobody's home. Absolutely. It's zero brain cells like. O'Leary has brain cells, 
but they're so busy just trying to. You know, I that's the understand. thing about Minogue. I think actually is Minogue is always genius thinking. thing. Sometimes he's always thinking. The yeah. connections just aren't quite what they it, should be. You sometimes. may not be making the same connection as Minogue, but it's just yeah, not wired correctly. <laughs> she's adorable. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, like she's the she's got a very like friendly like it's it's a trustable face this is definitely a face of like a teacher that i would hang out with and as it's a, not love, as an adult i love how much you and alicia are the same person occasionally that's like a teacher that i would hang out with that's that's like the relatable thing for you like you know Listen, just, you know just a teacher I, you hang out with i you know i just gotta say as an english teacher i am the i feel like english teachers and art teachers are the people that, that odd kids can gravitate to because I don't know. I just feel like we, I feel like we attract them. I don't know what it is. Oh yeah. But yeah. I have so many. Like, yeah, no, she looks And she ready. definitely feels like a person that you could like write about a weird dream. And I don't know if she would love it or not, but she wouldn't judge you for it. From that photo, second yeah. photo you showed Jeremy, I'm getting some real, queer friendly kids musical show host of realness <laughs> i'm in love with this tattoo though absolutely absolutely yeah. um alicia you mentioned the detail that goes into the the various sets and yeah like, i think that 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 really does help too with the actors ad-libbing because i feel that a lot of the i don't think there's a lot of a script for this show I would hope there is. I imagine it's still in that what we do in the shadows quasi improv world. Yeah, because the 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 dialogue is so haphazard and it's they're, so charming. They're bouncing off each other almost like too naturally for it to be scripted. Yeah, and yeah. and I'm, I'm I did commit like just real quick. Just I did compare it to Reno nine one one, and I feel like Reno nine one one doesn't really commit to its own jokes as much. It's yeah, it's very like I'm quirky, haha. Yeah, but this shop was absolutely committed. These characters are absolutely committed to who they are, no matter what. Well, Jermaine Clement did say in in twenty eighteen, there is a question and answer in Twitter. And he did say that unlike what we do in the shadows, which was a lot, which was like all almost all improvised because they had time, you know, to work with it. Because in TV, you only have a few weeks that oh, it's scripted, but there is a lot of improv in there. So, yeah, I, I definitely can see that. I, you know, I, I feel like that's part of the genius of what makes the show work is that like some of the things that Parker says, like. You know, when Parker's just bouncing his his head back and forth while yeah. he's wearing his ghillie suit, like, I how would you write? How would you write that in? And I don't know. That's that's I mean, when he's playing like ping pong with his head. head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking Incredible. of amazing Parker moments, let's go ahead and talk about Fear Factory. Oh, uh, less. Oh, yeah. Find uh, out Parker is a silence. Parker's cowardice saves the day. So yeah. uh, it's a well, lot like Norma, right? Yeah. A little bit like like Norma in Paranormal Park. Um, oh yes, absolutely. I was trying to, yeah, yeah. So uh, so this episode, uh, three three, it's called Fear Factory. While on patrol, the unit encountered several people making outrageous claims that they've seen the thing they feared the most in the middle of downtown Wellington. We start with giant spiders. We get a faceless man. Eventually, man claims to have been attacked by a shark in the middle of the street. 
uh, and he has the bite marks to prove it. Um, Let me talk about my favorite one. Well, hold on. Okay. All of the people had come from the local business, the fear factory. Uh, I they, think I know which one's they your round favorite. up all the employees for questioning. Two of them are delightful theater kids, fun, fun to watch and feel a little seen by these stereotypes. But the, the manager reveals himself to be a shapeshifter who feeds off of fear. He runs around the police station, terrifying everyone before retreating back to the fear factory. O'Leary and Mo go in after him, only for Minogue to be forced to do public speaking. Face sock puppets and deal with balloons, all of which are his fears. O'Leary, meanwhile, keeps encountering her mother, who is saying and doing things to embarrass her and make her feel as, uh, as if she's a disappointment. Uh, Minogue comes to the rescue on that one, reassuring O'Leary that while her mom may say embarrassing things, that uh, her real world mom is very proud of her and told him so. Well, she didn't actually tell him so, but she gives kind of that vibe. That was one of my favorite bits was that whole, yeah. like, your mom's really proud of you. She says so all the time. Really? No, but, you know, maybe. She yeah. gives that vibe. like, yeah, And she does give that, that was, vibe. That floored me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was so, like, heartfelt in such a genuine way while being, like, yeah. so in character. It wasn't, like, a very special episode. It was just like, no, no, no. <laughs> no yeah. you, don't worry about that. <laughs> Eventually, Parker, who has been hiding outside, decides to come to the rescue. And when the shapeshifter tries to confront him, it overloads by chain trying to shapeshift and do all the things Parker is afraid of, which he has been enumerating throughout the episode, until finally uh, he becomes a lot of loose change and falls apart. And they pack buttons. him up. Uh, hmm? It's a it's a pile of buttons because the earlier oh, he said buttons. buttons, yeah. Yeah, so they they pack it all up into a uh, jar, and that's and they call it a day. I love that they put all. In the top of the jar, just in case they're like, just in I case don't know if this is alive, but maybe it needs air. I don't know. It's it's just like so. Alicia, uh, was your favorite fear shapeshift my favorite, which was uh, Can we say at the slow- same time. Yes, one, two, three, iceberg, climate change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love, I love the delivery of the guy who runs out like the, like, with the polar bear glacier. Who's gliding slowly down the street, and then the cub looks up at its mom, like, "What's happened to our home?" And it was- <laughs> I, well, I love how they all agree afterwards. Where it's like, "Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, yeah that yeah, gives that's me that's yeah. yeah, about that." Yeah. An important problem. And, and I think one oh. of my favorite things is just the way he he when they ask him questions, he doesn't say yes, he doesn't say no. He goes, <laughs> "It's just a little." <laughs> yeah, yeah. My favorite of all the things we of all the episodes. And I, I very much enjoyed all the episodes. But the thing that got the biggest laugh was right after that when they run to the fight factory. And it's those two people just left there. And the old woman just looks at the kid afraid of climate change. And goes, like, they didn't but help they us. didn't help us at all. <laughs> yeah, that that's wonderful. This one is is one of the, like the, the out and out funniest to me. Minogue, like turning around and a, a audience just appearing in front of him and a you know microphone raising up out of the ground the and audience, the audience sock, sock puppets and then balloons just keep appearing and i love his explanation well you don't know if they're hands or feet yeah <laughs> she's a big what fan of the explanation of, of why he's afraid of balloons because she is also afraid of balloons for the same yes. reason. You just yes. don't know when they're going to pop and make you a lot never of noise. know what's going to happen around those things. I have <laughs> known several people who are actually like legit, like on edge around balloons. And I yes. get it. I don't have like a, a paralyzing fear of balloons. I'm not going to run away from them. 
But like whenever you have like those balloon popping contests as kids or like whenever you blow up a balloon and you're supposed to tie, like it freaks me out to like tie up a balloon. So I never inflate it all the way because I'm really afraid of it popping. I don't like that. Yeah. I have a legitimate, I think, exaggerated startle response. So I startle very easily. Once I was sitting at my desk while my class was watching a movie and it was dark around my desk because I had my lamp on and I was like grading and a student just leaned over and said, excuse me, may I go to the restroom or like I need to go to the restroom. But because they leaned over from the dark and whispered it so as not to disturb everyone else, I screamed and fell out of my chair. <laughs> my rolling chair went one way, the oh, no. fell over and the whole class was like. And she was like, Miss Whitley, calm down. And I was like, I told you I'm easily frightened. <laughs> Jeremy, whenever I'm upstairs or taking a shower, I think one time Jeremy came home while I was taking a shower and said, hey, babe, when he came in and I pulled the entire like, like shower curtain down with me because I was so startled. It's not a good way to live. So me and balloons, like, yeah, I mean, I think... I like boxes and I'm afraid of balloons. Thing. This is what you found out about me. That's, I mean, these are my Jer secrets. We accept Jeremy, that. you're learning a lot tonight. Yeah. <laughs> we accept this. Oh, I know all of this. And well, yeah. also, we're learning. Also, I loved how O'Leary was like, well, it's not going to bother me because I'm not afraid of anything. I'm just more like always like cautiously, what did she say? Cautiously concerned about everything. Well, I didn't hear that I one. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, she was but like, it, nothing. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm just always cautious about everything. Yeah, yeah. God. <laughs> uh, that was a good episode. What What would the shapeshifter, other than balloons? Ship, the ship shopter? The ship shafter. Ship what would the, what would the, the ship, ship shafter be? And I'm not talking about, we don't have to get into like the serious traumas that like <laughs> O'Leary had to deal with that are super personal. But like, yeah, what, sure. What's your, we know about balloons. Is there a, yes. Ben. Zombie monkey from the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. That was horrifying to you? I just thought that was a scary ass zombie monkey. <laughs> Scariest zombie monkey I've ever seen in a movie, I think. Uh, yeah. I think the rat monkey from Dead Alive is a little mm -hmm. bit just, well, it's grosser. I just don't like monkeys. The, uh, monkeys are the heights apes. one really got me. The, the oh, guy who was afraid of heights yeah. in the was in the jail cell and like the whole floor just disappeared below him and he was suddenly standing over a pit i was like oh that that one would get me that's yeah that would that would get me too seriously like i thinking about that i started feeling a little queasy <laughs> oh my god maka's maka's story about why he's afraid of spiders is also hilarious <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he was at his friend's house they were having a sleepover and he was in the shower and the spider fell right on his you know, place and part of his anatomy that he didn't want to say. Yeah. And that that is. Uh, and the uh, friend's mom had to come and help him. That was the horrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So I think other than like seeing everyone I know and love like dead in some horrific way, like that would be like if a shapeshifter really wanted to freak me out, it would be like my family members like horribly mangled. But yeah. if we're keeping it light, yeah, we're keeping talking it, about my irrational it, we're, fears. We're, we're keeping it zombie monkey. Yeah, irrational, yeah, rational fears. We're, we're, we're talking about irrational fears. I think like palmetto bugs are 
my big thing. So if you're not familiar, palmetto bugs are like roaches, but they're Ew, really no. big. And Emily they has fly. water bugs in California. Oh, it is like a, yeah, the, it's the, it is a cockroach type. And, the, of, and no, that's, that's, a, that, that's a good fear. That's, that's a yeah. very valid fear. And yep. Don't like that. We have what we call potato bugs or Jerusalem crickets. Um, I don't know. Are they, are they, are they like big crickets that like hop really high? Like we have camel crickets and those also. I think it might be, let me, let me look that up. I almost don't want to look it up. I'll look it up. I like bugs. No, 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 no. These these are big, chunky. Oh. You can see their big face. (laughs) Yeah. I think they're fascinating, but they're definitely like, I like bugs a lot, but if it's, in my bedding or like you know there's a certain boundary that i have where i'm like you know no yeah so what you're saying uh to transition to the next episode is you don't want them on your property (laughs) not on my property they just can't be like on my private person or you know like my clothes so uh let's let's go ahead and talk about skeleton crew which is our last episode that we watched which is season four, episode four. The station becomes haunted when the guys installing high-speed broadband <laughs> discover that it was built on a Pakeha. Or white people graveyard. The white people are incredibly stereotypical, and one of them possesses Maka, causing him, uh, causing his actions and voice to change into something incredibly disturbingly white. Um <laughs> They're also whoopsie daisy names like Whitey Whiteford and things like that. <laughs> oh my god, the the names that again, this whole idea of built on top of the Caucasian burial ground is yeah. so funny. It it turns it's out that the, the white people kiss. ghosts want what most of the white people that call the cops want for people to get off their property, and they <laughs> end up having to uh, prove. Maka has to prove to this uh, white guy, this ghost whitey, that the Department of Corrections actually owns this property and they do not before the white ghosts will go back to rest. Also, the white ghosts are very excited about Parker's upcoming choral concert, which he is practicing for throughout by making ghost sounds. Yes. Also, uh, the the main malevolent spirit, uh, John Whitey Whiteman, actually was a serial killer or a spree, a spree killer. He's the because, bogey guy? Yeah, he's the bogey man, not the bogey, the bogey man. Bogey the bogey man. <laughs> because he didn't get the 18th hole in his golf course. And, you know, like, few things are whiter than golf. Yeah, they, they attempt to exercise Maka God. by having him uh, re-golf the last hole of this, uh, this thing, which he, again, fails to uh, land correctly. Like, like, not even close. Like, the carpet... <laughs> The 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 fucking the the cup that's supposed to be the hole is even not even pointed the right way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I I love them. I love how I love Parker just being like I feel like there's a lot of variables to this plan. And Parker having an eerie moment of clarity where he's like, I don't know if this is gonna work, guys. And I'm like, well, we've got to be optimistic. Got to be optimal. <laughs> I think my favorite part of this episode is kind of at the beginning where. They go down to find out what all the drilling noises, like if the if the workmen can stop working so they can have their meeting because it's really loud. Mm-hmm. They get down there and the workmen are eating. <laughs> and they were yeah. like, why did you leave your jackhammers on? And he's like, the sound is really soothing. <laughs> I mean, at that point, 
They're Probably. Like, yeah, I just left them on. It's fine. Yeah, it's white noise. <laughs> also, there's weird stuff literally out there. They're just fine. Everybody's fine. Everybody's like, it's weird stuff. And yeah, it's kind of like how when I went to a haunted hotel, I was like, this hotel is haunted, but it's fine. Jeremy. Uh, yeah. Please elaborate. Jeremy took me a haunted to a haunted hotel and did not tell me it was haunted because well, Jeremy doesn't believe Chicago. in ghosts. Okay, here's the story. Y'all want to hear the story? Oh, oh, so this is a hotel that legend is haunted. Jeremy didn't bring you to an explicit like haunted hotel. It's yeah. October. We're doing a haunted house. I'm like, no, okay, no, no, surprise no, no. haunted house hotel. That's grounds so, for divorce. Just no. not telling <laughs> no. you about. I don't like surprises. Just We've not mentioning a yeah, as we ghost story section on Wikipedia. I'm, I'm on your side now, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't like. I don't like surprises. So. We go, so first of all, you have to know that Jeremy doesn't believe in ghosts. And I'm like, obviously ghosts are real. And he's like, I don't believe in ghosts. So that's uh, like, that's first of all. <laughs> so, he is since Jeremy, updated I'm, to, he's yeah. agnostic about ghosts. Like if there was a ghost, he wouldn't be like, no, I reject this. But he's not inclined to believe in ghosts. Okay. I'm, I'm also agnostic about ghosts. But if there's like a general vibe I can pick up, like that's weird. So I, I walk into this hotel. With I'm gonna be there gonna in Chicago. Jeremy that ghosts are not real. Okay, I, well, I'm gonna come down on team ghosts aren't real. Sorry that you're incorrect and that you were so loud <laughs> and you're wrong. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that for you. <laughs> so we walk into this hotel and I'm like, oh, this place is haunted. And Jeremy's like, what? what you just think it's haunted because it's old. I was like, no, like feel it. Like don't you feel the haunting? And he was like. Seriously, you just think it's haunted because it's old and old things look haunted. I'm like, no, I know this place is haunted. Somebody's definitely jumped out of that window right there. I can feel it. I just feel it. So that night he goes, don't look up too much stuff about this hotel because you're going to like freak yourself out. And I was like, I can't be any more freaked out. No. Where, was, where, was this, where was this hotel again? This hotel is called the Congress Plaza Hotel, which if you oh, in Chicago. Chicago? In Chicago, just oh, go ahead and Google it. Of course, people have jumped out of that. You get a hotel in that old in Chicago. Of course, that's it's it'd be mathematically impossible for there to have not been a suicide there. So apparently, this is like a big stop on the haunted tours, like haunted walking tours list, because it's one of the most haunted places in Illinois. That's like I'm sitting there. He's asleep and I'm sitting there like looking up all of these supposed hauntings that are happening here. Apparently, the eighth floor, the floor that we were on is the floor that Al Capone used to just hang out on. That was where his favorite suite was. Full. I mean, I don't think any I don't think Al Capone's just like I don't think Al Capone was there. I didn't feel Al Capone's presence. I didn't. In fact, I didn't see any ghosts. I didn't like. None of them bothered us. I just, it just felt like a fact to me. Would Al Capone's ghost also have syphilis? You know what? Listen, why don't you go to the Congress Plaza Hotel? I'm sure that you can commune with Al Capone's ghost. I, where do you think I, dare I you. for C2E2? I dare I you to ask old Scarface. <laughs> like, I, so, I, yeah. I actually, 1 a.m., it's like 1 o'clock in the morning, and I text my mom, and I'm like, Mom, dude. I'm staying in a haunted hotel. And she was like, how do you know, girl? I was like, because I can feel it. And also, here's this article. And then she starts. So I call her. I'm, she okay. starts reading the article. in Chicago that opened before the Great Depression is going to have seen some shit. Yeah. So she, then she starts reading the article to me. 
And she was like, don't get on the elevator, girl. And I was like, Ma, you can't read the article to me. Like, I already read it. If you read it to me out loud, then I really will be freaked out. Like, you cannot. And so then she insisted on reading about every suicide, every murder, every accidental fall down an elevator shaft. And at that point, I might might have freaked myself out a little bit. It was hard to sleep. But also, the air conditioning didn't work that well. So elevators are cursed. Elevators... Like, no matter what, like elevators, it doesn't have to be haunted. I, I'm going like, to come out on the sense of elevators are a useful piece of technology. They are useful, sure. yes, but they are cursed. Like, I'm not saying it's supernaturally cursed. I'm just saying, like, this is my pro elevator agenda. I look for folks who can't use stairs very well or at all. Yeah. Elevators. Sure. I mean, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. I'm not yeah, anti-elevator. Why, 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 yeah. I'm just saying they are cursed. A lot of things are cursed. According to a lot of people, I'm cursed because Mobility I'm- Mobility aids are cursed, quotes Emily Martin. No, that's not what I said. I said it, elevators are cursed. There's elevators a lot like- cursed, ramps, cursed, crutches. Ramps cursed. are not cursed. cursed. Ramps are blessed. Ramps are the most important thing. I'm like, thing. Hey, you canceled. Right. If you cancel me, it can't be for this. Because a lot of people agree that elevators are cursed, you know, and I'm saying like a lot of people would think I'm cursed because I'm assigned female at birth and then the moon does shit to me. Like, yeah. Okay. You know, that's true. It is a a pre-existing condition. Yeah. Yeah. And elevators. Yeah. Yeah. Ovaries. Ovaries are are a little bit cursed. Yeah. Yeah. I would say they're a lot more cursed than elevators. I was assigned lazy at birth and they make and elevators make it easier for me. To live in my identity of laziness. You well, also come from a city where, like, a lot of the buildings have a ton of stories. I'm not fucking walking up eight yeah, flights of stairs every sense. time I, I want and, to and, leave and our enter city, my home. Are you know we don't have a lot of buildings that are over like you know. You you want to talk about top. cursed? Fucking yeah! You think I'm living in a goddamn walk-in in this city? Now that's cursed. <laughs> I just, if you, I, I stayed at that Walk hotel up. in Denver. And you, Jeremy, Alicia, you remember that hotel in Denver across from the convention center? Yeah. That, that one. Yeah. Where it's like, elevator it's like, going to yeah, free it's like one, two, skip a few, 99, 3000. Yeah. I remember that's yeah. the one that I met. That's the one that I met Spike the vampire in. Well, that's okay. Maybe. Was, I don't know. That was like, a blessed elevator. He shook that, my hand and said that hello. That's awesome. Yeah. That is yeah. awesome. That hotel, I saved like, him. <laughs> that dude is cool. I what saved did you him, save from him from closing doors. He was like, "Oh, nice. can you hold the elevator?" And I did. And then, oh yeah, James Masters. He'll he'll remember you forever. I don't think so, but it's okay. <laughs> I hope he does because I think <laughs> I was. I thought I was super cool. Jeremy said that I was not. Anyway, wow. He not said that it. she wasn't cool. She wasn't cool about. James Marsters being I thought the, I was being cool. I was like, oh, yeah, I stopped by your table and you weren't there. But hello, I'm a big fan. And he was like, oh, she nice was vibrating on a molecular level. Yeah. Like he almost, said, so, well, it's me. Dribbled. I thought I said, hey, how's it going? And according to Jeremy, it was more like, <laughs> OK, OK, that's I mean, you know, like, I think it's important to acknowledge that you were probably cooler than you could have been. And also that the Congress Plaza Hotel is viscerally haunted. So, but not entirely or specifically by white ghosts. Uh, yeah. So, like, like the New Zealand place to burn. I, what? Yes, of course. Of course they were. What do you mean? 
There's plenty the of Congress black ghosts Plaza in Hotel? Chicago. You think non-white ghosts were hanging out there? Oh, yeah. No, not really. I think, I mean, hopefully they were able to, to skedaddle, but, you know, curses being where well, they the are. Only white people skedaddle, Emily. <laughs> well, I've never skedaddled in my life. Whoops-a-daisy. <laughs> um, so, did you enjoy this show? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it so much that I watched a bunch of extra episodes and I intend to watch more. I didn't quite get all of them. And, you know, there's other episodes that I would highly recommend. I think the I just have to say that the 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 white ghost is that it's a great episode. Highly recommend. So perfect. Wonderful. No notes. The the sort of cherry on that cake is. Wait, wait, Brian, you put cherries on cakes. I don't know. The cherry on that Shirley Temple. I don't know. Okay. Sunday. Cherry on a cherry Sunday. On that Sunday. Cherry on a Sunday. Frosting on a cake. Yes. Can we well, say the cherry on the icing? Is that a thing that people no, say? The icing on the cake. Icing, icing on the cake. cake. Yeah, that's. This yeah. isn't icing. This is like one thing, and I couldn't get to. I can't get to like specific. Like you know the the rose Sorry. petals. Sorry. Yeah, see, look, According to putting, the Cambridge Dictionary, it's putting cherry on top up. of the cake is a thing that people okay. say thank you um, like you're, yeah, you're welcome it's putting the spring in springfield yeah let's talk about white but the the cherry on that cake was the the ghost refrain of it's not the heat that gets you it's the humidity <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of good other episodes i think uh some of my favorites are, are things that have sort of like bookend and stories like the last episode which is called time cop but not the jean-claude van damme one is is a really good one but depends on you having seen a lot of other episodes in the show to to be fully enjoyed i really enjoy the duo of plant people episodes yes um there's cop circles in the first season and then that stuff comes back in let's see i think it's called uh copy cops in the second season yes yeah both of which are very good but yeah i wanted to to grab these because i think they hit on a lot of the the themes and stuff that uh, that we like to talk about in, in unique ways, be it O'Leary's queer identity, be it, you know, the the general racial and social aspects and cultural aspects of, of Maka in particular, but that the the show really lives in that New Zealand space and not just white New Zealand, which I'm sure has a lot to do with Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement, both of whom are, I, I believe they're both part indigenous yeah. people. Definitely Taika. I don't know about Jermaine, but Jermaine no, definitely, definitely just okay. okay. Definitely having that eye. I mean, just giving that, you know, just putting that in the spotlight. Again, it's appreciated that it isn't just, you know, hey, here's the people who colonized the island getting all the focus. And again, and again, it does allow it to do really fun things and flip some of the tropes of that colonization. Like I said, some of my favorite bits, the white people burial ground and the maui creation myth of how we got the suburbs yeah yeah well and I, the creation myth is real but then there's you know like in, integrating that into like and now it's a suburb with a lovely bakery you know yeah. so um some of the highest property values in wellington yeah it's it it really does offer a lot more of a of like a full portrait of at least this community in new zealand i also noticed that a lot of people were using Maori uh, term like greetings 
And I don't know how the, like, I have very little knowledge about New Zealand, honestly. Like, you know, for the longest time, it's like, it's that pretty place with the sheep and then Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, they always said Kiora. Yeah, Kiora. And there's a lot of, you know, language integration, which I thought was, you know, I hadn't seen that so much before. Um, and I'd seen other stuff from New Zealand, but it was all like genre stuff, like the Peter Jackson genre stuff or, you know, things that are a little bit more like, look at the cool sheep or whatever, you know, but I, I really appreciated that about the show. And I mean, I don't know if that's unusual for New Zealand and like exported New Zealand media, but it was, uh, it was refreshing. And it was also like, it gave the show its own. I think it's one of the things that really sets the show apart because I mean, I think the first season is a little bit monotonous. It's the, the kind of monotonous that I really like just because I like watching these actors like they feel they feel so familiar to me and they they I could see how they're enjoying playing these roles and just like every so often I get a glimpse of one trying not to laugh and it's you know it's just like I'm experiencing this their ad lib just it feels fresh and genuine and that's what I love about it but I do think that there is something beyond that beyond the the sort of quaintness of the show that makes it highly recommendable from me. Yeah, I think, you know, anytime we talk about something where the, the main characters are cops, we have to walk sort of this fine line of like, is it propaganda? Do we, you know, are we are we fool with this? I think Wellington, to some extent, I think it, it gets off of that somewhat because it is not American police. But, you know, the, they are not running around with guns. They have, you know, one taser between the two of them. Um, yeah, there's that one episode where they say, what do we say when we... I think it was Mobots. What are we going to say when we get to him? We'll say freeze. Well, we're not American. We'll say freeze, please. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, like, yeah. they argue about which one has the taser. Whose turn it is to have the, the taser. Yeah. They yeah. just have the one they have to share. Yeah. yeah. Which, oh my God. How about, I forget which episode it is, but Minogue puts the taser in his mouth. <laughs> oh yeah. When he's he walking was... into the ocean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. the Anyhow episode. Yeah. Um, And he's like, just so awkward. To keep it dry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. And Reese Darby is always a delight. Uh, I believe him that's acting the only time all... he shows up, but have, having him show up at all and, and deliver everything so dryly in that episode, like everything, everything he says is hilarious and he delivers it with just like the driest read possible. Yeah. And it's the same joke. It's always the same joke. And it's still like the, and this whole show is kind of like the same joke, but it's still so fucking funny. Like, it doesn't get old for me, for the reasons I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the you know, we've talked a little bit about the queer rep and it. It's not huge or loud. But nothing in the show is. I guess the the question for me is: Do we feel like it's kind of feminist as a show? Uh, it's it's just O'Leary who I I really like O'Leary as queer as queer representation i mean it's nearly textual but like emily said there are a lot of jokes that are kind of just at the expense of o'leary's gender yeah and the and also her presentation yeah um and you know i feel like it doesn't quite get to the point where it's super objectionable but it's still well, like it having her be the one purchase... that delivers a lot of that takes some of the the claws out of it yeah, I, I yeah. also do like that, as you said before, Jeremy, O'Leary is not the 
smart, long-suffering girl who has to keep all these silly boys in order while they have all the fun. Like, you know, there's <laughs> when the is the scorpion gets the taser, or the scorpion robot gets the taser, and O'Leary's like laying on the ground getting like she has just as much physical slapstick comedy opportunities as everyone else. Yeah. Does. Um, and I think, what is it? We got to support women's rights and wrongs. Like, we've yeah. got some great female, not bad guys, but like <laughs> criminals on here that aren't necessarily in the episodes that we watched. But I think one of my favorite episodes is the one about the she-wolf with Kuramara. Yeah. Yeah, she was great. <laughs> yeah, she and, you know, in other shows, maybe like if this is an American show, some of those presentations might be a little bit like very Reno 911 maybe classist but it didn't come off that way to me in this probably because the characters had a little bit more going on with them than just like like the the wife of the haunted of the like or not the wife the the former girlfriend of the deceased haunted ghost of the car you know also was very she she was also kind of a one of those outrageous common people you know, that you yeah, get in a lot of these these cop shows. But like that's she in the also think of the 85th, 85 Nissan, Nissan. Yes. 300 ZX or whatever. ZX, um, ZR Turbo. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's more to the characters than the, you know, leopard print cartoon pants that they wear. Yeah. And I think, as you mentioned, on the like class front, this this show does sort of deal with class it does it's not about class it's not a big thing for it but they do like talk about the wellington suburbs and the sort of like obnoxious whiteness of of the suburbs um yeah we we do address uh how we treat obsolete technologies the plight of the underused technology class the the episode with the haunted car the nissan 300 zx whatever that one was interesting with the kid that was speaking young because he seemed to be, you know, you can sort of see the the American version of that. But when it, it didn't seem as slapstick when he was like, OK, I won't use all of my colloquialisms with the cops because they were like, oh, he's speaking too young for me. And he's like, OK, you know, I got this. It wasn't huge. Like, it wasn't a huge mode change for him. But then immediately when they were talking about like upgrading the car, they were all on the same page at that point. He just wasn't saying bro as much, at least that I could tell. I mean, there could be a lot of signals that I'm not getting because I'm not young. Jesus Christ. Right. Fucking Jeremy. Oh, my God. I was going to say from New Zealand. Oh, OK, sure. That too. Damn, Jeremy. I think I grew three more crow's feet when you yeah. said that to me. <laughs> Emily, are you okay? I um, want to give you, a, I want to like put a blanket around you and like it's give you okay. some hot cocoa. It's okay. I I just got a, an email from Char Osnabel and I know, well, actually, no, that makes me also very old. <laughs> That's an ancient anime joke. Fuck. Quick reference the lesbian Gundams. That's what the uh, kids like. Oh yeah, uh, Witch of Mercury. Gun of Witch of Mercury. It's good, and um, I've seen all of it. And I caught uh, up. I haven't seen it. I caught up on Hell's Paradise, a show that it is. That. An, it is Annihilation meets Suicide Squad. That sounds dope as fuck. It's pretty. It's fucked up in some oof anime ways, but also dope. 
Yeah. Moderately dope. Something, yeah. something Demon Slayer, Kamesi no Yaiba. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit more, I don't want to say sensitive because there's not about a lot about the show that's nuanced is the word I want to, I wanted for that. It's a lot more nuanced about the representation of class and like race dynamics, at least in the later seasons. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think we've all sort of said that we would recommend it. Uh, what, what else would you recommend people who, who enjoyed this want to see more stuff like this? Alicia, what have you got? I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I had nothing, you know? This is everything that I wanted from a procedural about paranormal stuff. You know, it's like. If you liked this, watch it again. Yeah, that's that's the only recommendation that I've got. They did do some important COVID-19 messages during 2020. So I'll probably be watching those a little bit. Enjoying that. But we, yeah, we talked about it a little earlier, but, uh, if you want more, you know, borough cops being cinnamon rolls uh, and you haven't seen it yet, definitely go give Hot Fuzz a watch and then come back and thank me for recommending Hot Fuzz to you if you somehow haven't seen it yet. Hot Fuzz does also lead into, like, the cops being kind of, like, it, it overbearing. Does, but, well, I don't want to say yes, but I can't refute you with... I can't counter without spoiling the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you somehow no, haven't watched Hot Fuzz and you're listening to this, I, I don't want to spoil you. Listen, I look, there's copaganda. You can't avoid it. There's well, We discussed you know, this in our evil episode. There is just a certain level that is, I guess, you know, we choose how much poison we accept in our meals. It's, but also I think the important thing about Hot Fuzz is that, one... It's about corruption, right? Yes. It's about classism. It's about yes. British this people is, being It's terrible. a movie where they originally had a love interest for Simon Pegg, but then they decided to just cut her character out, but just give all of her scenes and dialogue to Nick Frost instead. Is that really what they did? Yeah. Yeah. There was originally a love interest and then they just cut and then they decided to cut out the love interest and just give those scenes to... More Nick Frost, Simon Pegg relationship. I, so good. Which is why, again, one reason why I prefer, while they're all amazing movies, why I prefer Hot Fuzz to Shaun of the Dead and um, World's End is because of the way Hot Fuzz is just laser focused on that Simon Pegg, Nick Frost relationship. Yeah. No, I think that's it. I also agree. That's my favorite one. Do you have um, any recommendations? I do. I was going to recommend that my mind just went blank, of course. I do. Of course, what we do in the shadows, you got to watch that. The movie mainly, the show also. But another thing I would definitely recommend is Reservation Dogs, which is an American set Taika Waititi produced produced a show. But the actual showrunner is from Oklahoma. Remind me, of, I need to remember his name. Thank you, Alicia, for editing this. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah, Sterlin Harjo, the uh, yeah, Reservation Dogs is on FX. It's created by Sterlin Harjo. It's mostly Sterlin Harjo's project because it's a you know more close to home for him. But um, Taika Waititi is is an executive producer, and that one has it's a little bit it's it can be very sad at times, but it has some really weird magical realism and also very 
it is filling a very, very vast void that we have right now that is Native American media. So I highly recommend it. And if you're interested in that kind of magical realism, this is nothing much like the the mood or the genre of Wellington Paranormal, but I really have to recommend I'm a Virgo. That series, I- talk about committing to just total insanity. That series is really good. Really cool in the way that it it has like really cool in its messaging and its interpretations and just like so weird, but like my specific kind of weird that I love it. I thought you were going to say Reservation Dogs, which is a uh, third season is starting real soon. Oh, third, third season will probably have started by the time this episode comes out. Yeah. So there's I, I would recommend Reservation Dogs and I'm a Virgo. So uh, a couple of things to recommend here. I think obviously our flag means death. If people haven't seen it, we've recommended it several times. I think along with what we do in the shadows and various versions, like this is, that's an obvious thing. Uh, a little less commonly talked about, I think on here is uh, Reese Darby did a series. It's like, it's just an eight episode thing of basically, it's almost like Reese Darby's version of, of I think you should leave. Uh, it's called Short Poppies. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, each one of them, he plays a a strange New England character who follows David Ferrier, who's theoretically the main character. Who's a, He plays a strange what? New Zealand character. Okay, sorry. I heard New England character, no. and I was like, I don't... Okay, my bad. No, it, sorry. It, it follows David Ferrier, who is a reporter who is going around interviewing these interesting characters around New Zealand, all of whom are played by Reese Darby in you know, various aspects, just doing bits and characters and in a very fun way it's you know all of eight episodes so like it's very easy to get through and in one setting if you want if not you know over the course of a couple days but it's a lot of fun and he's you know a different character every time but still doing very Reese Darby humor so if you enjoy him enjoy this show I think you'll also enjoy short poppies as well that said uh that's gonna wrap it up sorry I finally have a recommendation. Okay. What's your recommendation? You should watch Bluey. That's all. That's from New Zealand. Bluey. I hear New Zealand. A lot of my friends recommend Bluey to me. Yeah. I mean, it's also the same sense of humor. Just no ghosts. Interesting. And it will will occasionally make you cry totally unexpectedly. It'll just throw you a curveball and you'll be like, get that. This dog is such a good father. I wish I was as amazing as this dog. <laughs> All right. So that uh, wraps us up here. Alicia, do you want to let people know where they can find out more about, about you and what you do, what you're up to? Absolutely. If you're interested, you can find me on at Alicia Whitley on Twitter for right now. Although I did just get the invite code for Spill, so I might give that a try, see what happens over there. Yeah, where I mostly tweet about education and social justice. Nice. Uh, and Emily, what about you? I'm Megamoth on Patreon. Megamoth.net is my website, which sort of gets you to everywhere that I am. Megamoth on Twitter and Blue Sky. So if that if that continues to take off, cool. <laughs> yeah, and Mega underscore Moth on Instagram. Uh, and Ben, what about you? Uh, you can find me at BenConComics.com and on Twitter at, at BenTheCon, Instagram at once again, Ben Con Comics, uh, where you can find info on where to find 
past work like Renegade Rule and Griffin Galaxy's Most Wanted, and you can now pre-order L. Campbell Wins Their Weekend, my prose debut from Scholastic that's out October 17th. And as for me, you can find me at my website at jeremywhitley.com. You can find me on Twitter at jrome58, on Blue Sky at Jeremy Whitley, on Tumblr at Jeremy Whitley. And you can find uh, all sorts of information about the new stuff I've got coming out, including uh, the, the recently released Dog Night, uh, which you can still very much buy and it would be appreciated. It's also illustrated by Brian Nigo, who's been a frequent guest on here and is just generally awesome. The podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified and on our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm and on Twitter at Prog War Pod. We would love to hear from you, so hit us up and we can uh, we can talk about this or whatever other scary stuff you're into. Speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you'd review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Giving us five stars on your podcatcher helps us find new listeners. Thanks again to Alicia for joining us. It was great having you as always. Thank you. And uh, thank you to Ben and Emily and all of you for joining me here. And until next time, stay horrified. Clap. We did it. Another episode in the bag.